Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 52. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You'll all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet... Not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while they were still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to catch me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Righto. Uh, As I said at the start of the Bible reading, we're going to be taking this Bible reading over the next couple of weeks. And today we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of Jesus. And we're going to be learning about prayer and about what praying in faith really looks like. 
And then next week, we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of the disciples. And I guess we're going to see how those disciples failed to stand by Jesus. I mean, they deserted him. At the time when Jesus needed them most, they, they ran away and the, they weren't there during the rest and the trial and the crucifixion. But we're also going to talk about how later on something changed in those disciples. Something changed so that later on they were able to stand strong for Jesus. And so next week we're going to be talking about what enabled them to do that. Um, and we're going to be seeing what enables us to be able to stand strong for Jesus. All right, so that's next week. But this week we're talking about prayer and praying in faith. Now, many of us know that we're not good at praying. And I'd be the first person to say, I'm not a good prayer. Um, some people have a gift of intercession and they can just pray the most beautiful prayers. And I know some of you people here have the gift of intercession where you just pray and pray and pray. Um, but a lot of us are not good at praying. But it's still important that we do pray. It's our connection with God. It's communicating with God and it's receiving communication from God. And for us to learn how to pray better, the best way for us to do that is to learn from someone who is really good at praying. And I don't think there's anyone who's better at praying than what Jesus is. And so that's what we're doing today, learning from Jesus. So let's set the scene. That Jesus and his disciples have just finished the Jewish Passover meal and, and Jesus has longed to be sharing that meal with his disciples and, and there's a real feeling of anticipation there. J Jesus is going to do something new and amazing but the atmosphere is also filled with a fair bit of tension and foreboding. Jesus is going to be betrayed. His body is going to be broken. And he demonstrated that to his disciples during the meal when he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. And then again after the meal, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood of the covenant. See, Jesus was very aware that the time of his suffering was imminent. It was right there upon him. It was about to happen. And so he goes to the Mount of Olives and then on to the Garden of Gethsemane for him to pray. And I believe in all of the scriptures, this prayer for me is the greatest example of what a prayer of faith really looks like. I wonder which prayer would you choose from the Bible? What prayer from all of scriptures, all of the scripture, would, would you identify as being the greatest prayer of faith? Now, some people might think of the time when, when Elisha prayed for the Shumanite woman's son who had died and that young boy came back to life again. Some others might think of when Peter did the same thing with, with a, a woman by the name of Tabitha. She had died, but Peter went and prayed for her and she came back to life again. Some of you might remember that story of the, of the prophet Elijah when he was having a standoff against the prophets of Baal and, and they built an altar to God and they doused the, the offering and the wood with water. They just soaked it all with water. And then, then Elijah prayed, God, light her up. And, and he sent his fire down from... Ooh, oops. Sent the fire down from heaven and, um, and lit the offering up. You might think of numerous examples of praying for healing. But I reckon 
the best example of a prayer of faith is right here, right here at the Garden of Gethsemane. So how did it unfold? There in Gethsemane, Jesus told his disciples to stay where they were and he took just three of them with him, Peter, James and John. Now, I don't know why these three particular disciples were so special to Jesus. That They were like his inner circle, if you like. They, they seemed to be extra close to Jesus, his special friends, his closest friends. And there, was some, there had been some really special times that Jesus had shared with just those three disciples. And this was going to be another one of those times. Now, at, at this point, what was Jesus' state of mind? What was Jesus like emotionally at this point? You know, sometimes we sort of think of Jesus as he always had everything together. He was never worried about anything and everything just went according to plan for Jesus and, and just went, there was nothing, it was just all good with everything. But what was Jesus' emotions like at this point? Mark tells us that Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even under death. Right? Jesus was in a really deep state of turmoil. And he said, you three stay here. Remain here and watch, is what he said. Jesus was so torn because he just wanted, he just needed to be alone with his heavenly father in prayer. But he also needed the support of having some godly friends nearby. And that's often what we need. You know, some people like to think that that they can go through life and, and they can navigate all of life's tough times all on their own and that they don't have to share their burden with anybody. And if they do share their burden with somebody, then they're being weak. Not so. Jesus needed to have his godly friends right there near him. And so do we. In times of, of despair and turmoil, yeah, we need times of, of being alone in prayer with God, but we also need the support of, of our godly friends. We need them to be near. And that's why Jesus said to those disciples, stay here, but I want you to watch. It's like saying, okay, I need to be alone with God right now, but I need your support through this. And he went, he left them there and went a short distance and, and he fell on the ground to pray. I wonder, has anyone ever told you what, what's the correct posture for praying? You know, is there a correct posture for praying? I know when I was a little child, we're told to kneel down and clasp our hands and close our eyes, and that's how we're told to pray. Um, some people like to pray with their arms lifted high and looking up to the heavens. Um, some people like to kneel to pray. Sometimes we fall flat on our face to pray to God. I don't think it matters. The Lord will show you which posture to have as you pray. But that's what Jesus did at this point in time. He fell on the ground and he prayed. What did he pray? He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He prayed, Abba, Father, Father. 
That's like saying, Dad, Father. Now, sometimes we might sort of use the word Daddy. I'm not going to use the word Daddy because that sort of makes it more childish. It's, this is more about a relationship thing rather than childish, right? So the relationship between father and son. It's a real personal connection. And this is a way that God has told us that we can pray to him as well. Dad, father, Abba, father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Right? Jesus knows what God's plan entails. Jesus knows that God's will is going to be very costly for him. And he prays, Dad. There's the plane again. I think we had the plane last week. We just wait for the plane to go. He prayed, Dad, nothing's impossible for you. Right? Jesus' faith is really strong. He is acknowledging the power and the might of God. You know, sometimes people either don't pray to God because they think that, oh, you can't do anything about it. God, God has no power. Or, or they, they just don't pray at all. Or, or even if they pray, pray it's some kind of powerless prayer that they pray. They're not asking for anything substantial because they, they really question, oh, I don't think God can do anything about this. But Jesus' faith is really strong. He is acknowledging the power and the might of God. Our Heavenly Father is so strong, he is so powerful, nothing is impossible for God. Now, do you believe that? Nothing is impossible for God. God can do anything that he likes. God can do anything that he wills. So, if God can do anything, what does Jesus ask for? Remove this cup from me. But Jesus didn't want to die. Jesus didn't want to go through the torturous death of crucifixion. Dad, please remove this cup from me. Now, if Jesus had the name it and claim it theology that a lot of people preach today, that's where his prayer would have ended. Or maybe he might have gone, to, gone on to say, remove this cup from me and I believe that this bitter cup has been taken away. It's gone. I believe that death has been taken away. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But, and that's the way a lot of people would pray today. But Jesus didn't pray anything like that, did he? Jesus' prayer didn't end where, it did, where we just said. He went on and he prayed the most important part of his prayer. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is a hard thing for me to grasp. Jesus is God. Jesus is part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three and yet one. Jesus is human and yet divine. He is human and yet God. When Jesus came to this earth, he took on human flesh. And to become fully human, in a way, he left some of his divinity, left some of his godness behind. In Philippians 2, Paul talks about it in terms of, of Jesus 
emptying himself and becoming a servant. Right? Jesus became a human. And as such, he was subject to, to human weaknesses and the torments that we humans face. As a human, Jesus would feel pain. And as a human, he would feel the torturous agony of the scourge and the crucifixion. And as a human, the weakness of his humanity is what made him cry out, Dad, Father, remove this cup from me. But the strength of his Holy Spirit, the strength of his divinity, the strength of his being God, is what made him continue in that prayer, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so we see here, we have a picture here of, of the Son of God willingly submitting himself to the Father's purpose. So Jesus prayed for a while, about an hour, and then he goes back to the three disciples. Simon Peter, that's not two disciples, that's one, two names for the one disciple. Simon Peter, James and John. And they were sound asleep, sound asleep. Are you lot asleep? Couldn't you watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, we're going to talk about that verse a fair bit more next week. Um, but just for now, Jesus is telling them, you need to be praying too. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. Now, what, what are they being tempted with? And we sort of think, oh, they're being tempted with sleep. Well, yeah, ma maybe. That, that was a minor thing. What they're really being tempted with is Jesus had already warned them that they were going to fall away. Now, they were very confident that they wouldn't fall away. Oh, no, Jesus, we're not going to fall away. We'll stick with you till the bitter end. Uh, but Jesus knew far better than that. And, I mean, how did it stack up for the disciples? They couldn't even stay awake for an hour. Um, and Jesus says something here in verse 38 that, that usually we assume it only applies to the, to the disciples. He says here, the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. And we think, ah, oh, he's talking about them being tired, those poor chaps. You know, they, they, they wanted to stay awake, but they just couldn't keep their eyes open anymore because, after all, they'd had a really big week. They were totally worn out and they just fell asleep. And yeah, Jesus is talking about the disciples. Yes, they were trying to stay awake and no, they couldn't. Yes, in that regard, the spirit was willing, but the flesh is weak. But also, yes, they have every intention of following Jesus, but he knows that they're going to fail. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But I wonder, have we ever really considered that this was the exact same internal battle that Jesus was that night praying his way through? 
We can see it right there in Jesus' prayer. The flesh was saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to suffer. If there's another way, Dad, let's do it that way. The flesh was weak. But the spirit rose above the flesh. Yet not what I will, but what you will. That is a spiritual prayer. That is a prayer of faith. So he left his disciples again and he went back to pray some more and we're told that he prayed the same words. Then he came back to check on his disciples again and did they stay awake this time? <laughs> nope, sound asleep, sound asleep. So he wakes them up. They, of course, didn't have anything to answer him with. Then he must have went back again for a third time to pray some more because he came back to the disciples a third time and once again they're sound asleep again. And this time he says, it's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. All right? Jesus didn't flee. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that is what Jesus dealt with in prayer. He dealt with the weak, weakness of, of human flesh. You see, pretty much all the time, our human nature wants to do things the easy way. Our human nature wants to do things the comfortable way, the safe way, the popular way. Whereas the spirit aspires to something much higher than that. The, the spirit seeks something which is much greater than what the flesh looks for. The spirit aspires to the will of God. As I was writing this message, I, I thought about the image that we're given in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of imagery there. And, and in one of the images there, we have the throne room of God. And within the throne room of God is these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. All right? Our prayers are being received into the very throne room of God. Now... What sorts of prayers are we sending up there? Are we sending prayers that might satisfy our weak flesh? Or are we filling those bowls up with spiritual prayers? With the sorts of prayers that really belong in the throne room of God? I guess what I'm asking is what sorts of prayers do we pray? And are we truly praying in faith? You see, way too often our prayers could very easily get boiled down to something along the lines of, Lord, please do what my weak flesh wants. Now, of course, we'd never, we'd never put it that way. But when we actually think about the sorts of things we're praying for, it's really so often what we're asking God for is just what our weak flesh wants. God, give me, give me, give me. All the sorts of things that our weak flesh wants. We just want more, we want more, we want an easier life, we want nicer things, we want 
people to be happier with us. We, we want all these nice things. Whereas a godly prayer could be summarised as, Lord, please do what your powerful spirit wants, no matter what the cost is going to be to me and to my weak flesh. You see, prayer shouldn't be about us changing God's mind. Prayer should be about us seeking the will of God and then aligning ourselves with the will of God. Now, sometimes we don't know what the will of God is. Sometimes we do know what the will of God is. But despite this, many people today think that praying is in faith is us deciding what we want or us thinking that, that we know what's going to be best for us or we know what's going to be best for this other person or we know what's going to be best in this particular situation. And then we tell God that we want it and we try and believe it into existence. And we have, sometimes we have this attitude, you know, as long as if I believe and I believe hard enough and as long as I don't doubt, then God is going to do exactly what I ask. And, and then if it doesn't happen, we start to question, well, what went wrong? And, of course, some of the answers are, well, there might be some sin or there might be some lack of faith. But you know what I reckon is one of the biggest causes of unanswered prayer it's assuming that my will, the will of the weakness of my humanity, is the best that the Spirit of God can do. That's sin. Me believing that my will is the best that God can do. You see, God's way is a very hard way. Usually... When we follow the will of God, it's going to be very costly. Being a disciple of Jesus and following Jesus is very difficult. Jesus talked about it in terms of the two roads. And the way of being a disciple of Jesus is the narrow path and few find it. It's the hard way. There's a broad road that's like a super highway, if you like. And many find it, but that's the road that leads to death. But the road that leads to life is very narrow and very hard. But if God's will for us is costly and difficult and painful, how can we follow God's will? Well, it begins by praying our way through it. The weakness of humanity prays, Father, take this cup away from me. And the strong spiritual prayer, the prayer of faith, prays not my will, but your will be done. As I said before, some people believe that, that a prayer of faith is to have zero doubts and to believe that I'm asking for this and so God's going to do it. But the greatest prayer of faith is to cry out to God, Lord, if there's another way, please can we do it that other way? But even so, I'm willing. 
your will be done. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So, Lord, fill me with your Spirit and align me to your will. How can we determine God's will? How can we know? I mean, that's, I reckon if I asked every person here, I reckon most of you would really be wanting to know, how can I know God's will for my life? Well, many people have the view that for them, God's way is going to be easy, it's going to be prosperous, it's going to be peaceful. I'm going to tell you, that's a nonsense. That's just not the way it is. I've often had people say to me, you know, if I'm trying to work out God's will, if I have a peace about something, then I know it's God's will. Really? Jesus obviously didn't get the memo on that. Because that's the exact opposite to what unfolded there in that Garden of Gethsemane. And that's the exact opposite to the prayer of faith that Jesus demonstrated. Jesus knew God's will. How much peace did Jesus have about that? He said, my soul is sorrowful, even under death. Was, did Jesus have peace with that? Nope. We're told that he was greatly distressed and troubled. How much peace did Jesus have with that? Not much. So why do we have the idea that, you know, if I'm looking for a particular way, if I have a feeling of peace about it, therefore that must be God's way? That's not at all the way it works. You see, Jesus didn't have peace until, until he aligned himself with the will of God. And that's what he was doing in that Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where we so often get it wrong. We try to work out what God's will and we look for an option that's going to... As soon as we find an option that makes us feel peaceful, oh, yes, that must be what God wants me to do. But that's the opposite to what Jesus did. The will of God was right there before him and the finding of the peace, well, that took a prayer of faith. And that's the way it needs to be for us. The finding of peace takes a prayer of faith. Recognising the amazing power of the Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, and knowing that God can do whatever God wills. If we start from that position, that's where we can move on. We then recognise our human weakness. Our human weakness is what points us towards the easy option, the comfortable option, the painless option. And then we wrestle through this until we come to the point that we don't only know it in our heads, but, but, but we believe it in our hearts that God is sovereign, God is king, God is Lord, and God's way is best. And so we yield our will. No longer, Lord, am I going to be praying for my will to be done. I'm going to be praying for your will to be done. Praying in faith. Well, it's about trusting God with our future. And that's when we find peace. You see, the finding of peace 
is not about us orchestrating and planning our own future and then asking God to bless it. The finding of peace comes with a prayer of faith that trusts God with our future. Do you trust God with your future? Do you trust God enough to be able to pray, Lord? I'm going to stop praying for what the weak flesh wants. I'm going to pray for your will to be done. I know that you love me. I know that you care for me. And Lord, I want you to take control of my life. Do you trust God that much with your future?